This episode of Afterwork Drinks is brought to you by our friends at Ultraviolet. What is that you're drinking, Izzy? This is a spicy mezcal margarita, which is, as you know, my summer beverage of choice. Very nice. I'm sipping on a stone cold glass of rosé, very much wishing we were by the beach in Australia right about now. Me too, but New Zealand. We may not be able to enjoy the perfect down under summer, but you, our angelic listeners, are. And alongside our friends at Ultraviolet, we're bringing you six weeks of chocker full of fantastic summer content. So you can have a very ultra summer on our behalf. As you've no doubt heard us mention many, many times by now, Ultraviolet is our favorite sunscreen brand on the planet. They've completely transformed sunscreen by making a formula that looks and feels like skincare. So you can protect your skin every day without clogging your pores or lugging around a big, ugly, greasy tube. After the crazy old year that we have all had, Ultraviolet wants you to kick back and enjoy a well-earned break, spending this summer living your very best, very ultra life. So you might be wondering what it means to be very ultra. And basically it's the next step up from extra. It's walking an extra 15 minutes to go to the coffee shop that serves the brand of oat milk you like, guilty as charged, or spending an unreasonable amount of money on a birthday cake that matches the exact shade of your mint green sequin dress. Grace, guilty as charged. It's also taking a whole afternoon to yourself to read a book about an issue you're passionate about or spending a bit more money to buy from brands whose values you align with or, um, in my case, using a whole roll of film in one night just so you can upload the one cute photo you think you got on your vintage camera to Instagram. That's very ultra, even, like buying a film camera for the Insta aesthetic. For the gram. I know I can't upload any other photos now. I've got myself (laughs) stuck in this hole. You're trapped in the aesthetic. (laughs) So basically, being very ultra is about being an AWD girl. It's being full of substance while also being a little bit silly with a little touch or more than a touch of chaos added to the mix. And so because we all know you embody the very ultra lifestyle so perfectly, we'd also love to hear from you. Please send us through a voice note to hello at afterworkdrinks.net with your very best ultra moment. And each week we'll play our favorite in the episode. Plus, if your voice note gets played, you'll get sent a special gift pack from Ultraviolet on us. And just because we love you, you also get an exclusive discount code that works for the entire summer up until February 28th. All you need to do is enter AWD10 at the checkout at ultraviolet.com.au for 10% off your order on anything except for limited edition sets. One use per person and not available with other offers. Thanks again for listening to this episode of After Work Drinks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is our first interview episode in 2021, and I'm so stoked that it's with Charlie. An absolute legend and queen. Before we get started, are you going to be committing to any New Year's resolutions? Um, um no. <laughs> Theoretically, um, yes. No. Every single year, it's the same same old shit. So I'm just not um, I'm not writing anything down. But I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm like, just do yoga with Adrian. It's free. It's free and easy, and she's so cute. It's free and easy. And what else are you doing with your time? Nothing. But I think on the topic of this being our very ultra summer takeover, it's like very ultra to say I'm not doing any fucking resolutions. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like 
the next step up from having a bunch of resolutions is saying, I'm perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I'm perfect. I don't need improvement this year. I'm like done, baked in, ready to go. Tell us about Charlie. That's how I I feel. Um, That's how I think I would feel if I actually did yoga and the Pilates thing I pay for every week. You know, I pay for Pilates and I just never do it. Why would you? So it's such a awful way because to spend Because Pilates is tricky where you think that it's going to be, I think that it's going to be like yoga. I was explaining to my brother this because he was like, what's the difference between Pilates and yoga? And I was like, Pilates is like yoga that works in terms of it's like taken, it's taken all of the moves in yoga that actually hurt and put them all together. Kind of. It's, it's just like a workout, but because you're not doing jumping jacks. In your brain, when you're not doing it, you think it's going to be easy. And then when you're doing it, it's fucking hard. But I've done lots of yoga classes where I come out being like, that was just a pleasant thing to do. But that, I'm nothing's happening to my body No, nothing that. happens to your body in yoga. You know what I mean? But I'm like, yeah. in Pilates, they take the yoga moves that, like, kill you mm. and shove them all into 30 minutes. Yeah. And that's the difference between <laughs> yoga and Pilates. <laughs> For everyone who has one brain cell and doesn't understand that. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. So this week we're talking to Charlie Fraser, who you guys will probably already know is one of the most successful models to come out of Australia in the last 10 years. I know I said at some point that if I could have anyone's face, it would be Anna de Armas's, but I think... You were lying. I think it would be Charlie's. Charlie's like face and personality. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie was scouted within a year of finishing high school and quickly became a darling of the world of high fashion, as in she's walked for Chanel, Prada, Versace, Valentino, Dior... Like, at the very least, to name a few. To name a mere few. And was a muse for Phoebe Philo, who is obviously the best woman in the world, wearing some of the most iconic Celine looks to ever grace the runway. She's also appeared on the cover of Harper's Bazaar and multiple international editions of Vogue. So we've long been fans of Charlie's work, but we specifically really wanted to speak to her for our very ultra summer campaign because of the work she's doing with First Nations Fashion and Design. So FNFD is a new initiative that offers skill development and access to industry contacts for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander designers, photographers, hair and makeup artists, stylists, models, and more. So Charlie is a proud Albaca woman, and she's really passionate about her own cultural heritage and also about making sure that the Indigenous population of Australia is included in the fashion and beauty industries, which is an industry that she's so passionate about. So we really couldn't think of anyone that better encapsulates the very ultra- vibe than someone who uses their influence to push representation in the Australian fashion and beauty industry. A hundred percent. So we talked to Charlie about her life-changing two-week trip on country recently, how the power dynamics have shifted behind the scenes for models since the beginning of Me Too, what it was like to be a central part of one of the most iconic periods in recent fashion history, and how to achieve real inclusivity in Australian fashion. We hope you love listening, and if so, please rate, review, and subscribe. And we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Hi, Charlie. Hello. Hi, Charlie. How are you? You're looking luminous. You're putting the rest of us to shame. Really? (laughs) Always. I look like a bug. I'm just, yeah, it's like the day after a really, really long trip that was so intense and so emotional and so rewarding and just that first day back at home I'm just a bit like 
oh <laughs> like a bit deflated yeah you gotta decompress yeah um what was the process of coming back from new york like like are you back for good do you think oh uh, so like the the kind of like the way that i ended up here was i just so happened to book a job in melbourne at the very beginning of march and it was a week-long job. And then whenever I'm here, I always book out a little extra time to see my family as well because I don't normally live here. So I'd had two weeks booked out. And within the first week of my job is when lockdown happened and COVID happened. So I just was magically kind of stuck here. But I feel as though I'm extremely lucky <laughs> to be here because um, Australia's in a really, really good position in terms of the pandemic and I've been able to work and make really great connections and um, obviously now I'm an ambassador for FNFD, which is an Indigenous not-for-profit organisation and I just don't feel as though any of this would have been possible if I was stuck in New York. So I'm very thankful to be here. Yeah, it's so nice coming home as well because you just, I feel like I hadn't been home to New Zealand properly and like four years for over the for um longer than a weekend and then I went back right when COVID hit in March as well and stayed there till like August and it's just so kind of I don't know grounding and I arrived at the airport and just almost yeah I was like I feel like crying yeah well also New Zealand I think was like during COVID New Zealand was one of the the like number one countries to magically eradicate it really soon after it happened so everyone in New Zealand I feel as though was really lucky too yeah Izzy was in safe hands with Jacinda yeah it's quite funny though because they kind of feel like there's no COVID at all now (laughs) I'm like we're back in lockdown so you have become one of the most talked about models in Australia in recent years um and we just wanted to know kind of taking it back a bit was modeling always something that you wanted to do or had been told you should do um was it when did it become something that you knew was going to be an actual career I feel like there's so many tangents I could go off on about this topic but basically um I grew up very genetically blessed so um I'm naturally very tall and very slender which most there is a majority of models who are like that so I feel as though my whole childhood people were always like you're so tall and and thin, like you could be a model, you should be a model. You kind of get like dribs and drabs off people for your whole life. And then it wasn't until I graduated year 12 and I wasn't really sure yet what I wanted to do with my future, but I applied for studies at university and TAFE um, for business and beauty. Uh, And then at the very, within like the first two weeks of January or the first like, the first half of January, I I had applied for all my studies. I also happened to get scouted by this photographer in my hometown, Newcastle. And he was like, can I send, can I take a picture of you and like send it to an agency in Sydney? And I was like, oh, okay. So I did that. And then within like a week later, he was like, they really want to meet you. So I went up there with my mom and pretty much on the spot, they offered me a contract. And I'd thought about it not for very long. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so it kind of, it happened, it happened really quickly within the space of like the first three weeks of January. It all just really flowed and happened. And I feel as though the timing of it all wasn't a coincidence because I had graduated school, which is something really important to me. And I didn't really know where I was going afterwards. And it, 
it just kind of slid in there and I went with it and I ended up here. (laughs) I feel like, I really feel like this is where I'm meant to be completely. Um, And we, I actually interviewed you ages ago for DJs. It was like one of the first DJs shows that you did. No way. (laughs) And it was really soon. Yeah. You would have done a few, but they, um, you, we were talking about how, I think it was either, I was trying to remember the story, but like Phoebe Feeler had seen a picture of you backstage or the team, the creative team at Celine had seen a picture of you backstage and that completely spawned this huge runway part of your career. So can you just retell that story? Cause I couldn't quite remember it and couldn't find it online. Well, um, that, that particular thing was in terms of like Celine and, and my campaign series of Celine essentially. But, um, yeah. I started on the runway as an exclusive for Alexander Wang And then that season that I cut my hair for Wang, I also did the Celine show in Paris and there was just a backstage photo that they happened to take that they really loved. And so I booked the next like two, three Celine campaigns pretty much from that photo, (laughs) which is crazy. It's crazy. And that, that era that you were a part of, like I'm thinking of that runway look that you wore, it was like the beige skirt dress thing. It was like amazing. There was a few that you wore, but they're like the most archetypal Phoebe Philo for Celine, incredible looks. You were kind of like a core part of the imagery in one of the most iconic periods of like fashion design. Can you just talk a bit about what it felt like working with her and working with that brand at the time where it was like the biggest brand in fashion? Well, I, I think so much for me as well. When I first started doing international shows, I was so uneducated in the fashion industry that I didn't know like how big all these brands and stuff were until I started doing it. So I, I look back now and I'm like, like, that's insane. Like, oh my gosh, like the things that I did at the time, I had no idea what I was doing, which I feel is the story for a lot of girls as well. I do remember... Uh, there was a season, I'm not sure if it was like 2018, I think maybe where I did that beige look and it was like a, it was like a double raincoat situation. And that specific image kind of went viral and was like the memes for a lot of things. Um, and that, yeah, that turned out to be like one of the most like iconic Celine collections, which obviously at the time I didn't know. (laughs) I didn't know, but looking back at it now, looking back at it now, I'm like, wow, like it's so, I feel so incredibly blessed to have had the journey that I've had and be a part of everything that I've been a part of and all the opportunities and all the people I've met. Like it's, it's crazy. But yeah, looking back on all of those, mind blown. (laughs) And then you just mentioned Alexander Wang, which was your first big international show. And I was reading an interview with you where you were just talking about the fact that they, you had really, really, really long hair and they were just like, okay, we're going to chop it all off, which doesn't even feel, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you think about someone chopping off your long hair that you've had your whole life to like above your ears, which is actually quite wild. Um, When it was happening, were you like, what the fuck's going on? And were you kind of worried about the rest of your, the season? Well, I was so fortunate enough to have had like two days to process it. Whereas there were a lot of girls um, during that time that were kind of asked on the spot to cut their hair. I went in for obviously a casting and they were like, we really, really love Charlie, but we really want to cut her hair. And so they'd been talking to my agent about it. 
at the time and my developing agent said I really trust their vision with this and he left it up to me which um, which I really appreciated um, and he said think about it because I think this is going to be a really great opportunity for you and what was really good about that is that I I really trusted his opinion he's a great agent and so thankful obviously and so two days later showtime came and they were like you know are you willing to cut your hair and I was like I really trust my agent uh I'm gonna cut it so I was like yes you can cut it but also I think the nerve-wracking part of cutting it from really long to really short is I didn't necessarily know how they were going to cut it and I didn't have a choice in the matter so that was the nerve-wracking part is being like how they they could pretty much do whatever they wanted to it um, and I was like, what, like, what's going to happen? What? And cause there were so many different girls coming out with different looks. So I really had no idea what I was going to get. And I just, I was actually originally supposed to get a bowl cut and then halfway through getting a bowl cut, I ended up with these like steps, like a front fringe, then, um, like a cheek step and then a chin step. <laughs> That's how you say it, but like a bob and then a step at my cheeks and then my front fringe. And, uh, we kind of stopped at that point and Guido is the Guido is the director who cut who like styled my my haircut and he said he said we're gonna stop like we're gonna stop right here like this is it um he's like yep we're gonna leave it and it ended up blowing up and being like the haircut of the season and I did like so many shows and it became a very very popular look and you I think like throughout that season and then obviously the next few seasons, you walked for like everyone. You did Chanel, Dior, Loewe, Versace, <laughs> Balenciaga, um, and you've been on the cover of Harper's Bazaar and multiple covers of Vogue. Um, can you kind of talk about some of the moments where you were like, holy shit, <laughs> this is crazy? Oh, boy. Like thinking back to that time when everything was just, go 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 and like compiling up like you really it's just you kind of go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing without really having that time to process what you're actually doing or what you've actually just done so and that's it's such a fashion mentality like fashion is always like what's next what's next what's next and it's constantly going so at the time at the time I I guess I didn't really feel as though I fully, I I obviously knew what was going on, but I guess I didn't fully, fully comprehend like the extent of it. And I was just so, I felt as though I was a little like, not, I'm, I don't know how to explain this, like humbled by everyone to be like, Oh, like you're doing this, you're doing that. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I'm excited and I'm working. And then, you come out of it later and you're just like, whoa, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like perceptions of what people are seeing versus reality. So that you're jumping on a plane to your next job and like rushing to set and then getting your hair and makeup done really quickly and getting some photos and then you're off. And then other people are seeing like a Celine yeah. campaign, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you're like, Oh, <laughs> I get it now. And also you're so young when you start out that like, like you said, when I finished, journalism school and then went straight into fashion mags I knew nothing about fashion so you don't understand the magnitude of what's going on yeah no exactly and so even now when people like having conversations like this now where people come up to me and they're like what was it like like back here when this happened that happened I'm like now that it's 
been a while and I've been able to like process all of that, it's absolutely wild. So crazy, like mind blowing, insane. But at the time you're just kind of like, you know, waiting for the next thing, the next thing, what's my next booking? What's my next job? Where am I going next? Like, you're just so like immersed in it. You, you don't have that time to process what's actually happening. So yeah, it's weird to talk about now. Sometimes when people ask me, I'm like, well, yeah, that happened. Wow. <laughs> We're going to take a very quick break here to hear from the winner of this week's very ultra moment. Don't forget to send yours in to hello at afterworkdrinks.net for your chance to win a prize pack from ultraviolet. Hi, After Work Drinks. So my very ultra moment was I had a pink themed birthday to go to and I had the dress, had the shoes, had everything else and all I needed was a drink to match. So I went to like three bottle shops and I was like, what kind of cocktail can I make? And then it eventually dawned on me that the best thing was, dare I say it, a guava cruiser. So that's what I went with and I drank guava cruises the whole day just to match my outfit. Um, so we wanted to switch for a moment to talk about something remarkable you're doing in Australia that you mentioned um, when we first jumped on the phone, which is the work you're doing as an ambassador and mentor for First Nation Fashion and Design. Can you just explain to our listeners what they do and why it's so important that an organisation like this exists? Well, First Nations Fashion and Design, um, <laughs> FNSD for short, um, we really... We're working on giving Indigenous creatives a platform within the industry, and that's with a very long line of things in from modeling to photography, videography, design, um, textiles, kind of any any job you can think of within the fashion industry, we are trying to provide indigenous creatives with a platform and we're gonna and nurture nurture their process into the industry and help give them like mentorship and contacts and we're trying to create like an ecology um of culture within the fashion industry in terms of indigenous australia so it's like i just i just i remember the very first time that i met grace and tegan at the darwin aboriginal art fair last year and they had just started with first nations and the conversation that we had then and and to reconnect again with them this year and know from the very first like zoom call we had that this is going to happen it was it was so clear and apparent from the very beginning that i was going to be involved in them because for a long time i've been looking for something where my culture and my career like cross paths and so when this happened I was like well this is this is it like this this is my culture my career like having a baby I was like I have to be involved and I was just so passionate about their vision that I feel as though it was just really it was just known that I was gonna like sign on as an ambassador I was like I just I want to do more. I was like, what are you guys working on? Like I had so many ideas and we've been talking and we've got more stuff coming for 2021, but they originally were like, okay, well we have our very first launch event in December. And if it's not too soon, we'd like, we'd like for you to be a part of it. And this was just, this was a few months ago and I was like, absolutely. Yeah. And then we just had more and more meetings and it just evolved to 
the trip that I just came from <laughs> that we were talking about when, when we jumped on this call, it was so transformative and emotional and spiritual. Um, uh, it was like, it was really amazing. And I think something, something was born over these past few weeks with First Nations fashion design that I think is going to lead a very, very bright and beautiful future for any Indigenous creatives that want to break into the fashion industry. And that's what we kind of love the most about what FNFT is doing is that we've kind of seen in the fashion industry, especially in the last few months, an increase in model castings for example which is like fantastic and really important but a lot of the time you then see that that isn't being echoed behind the scenes so the importance of having representation and inclusion across photography makeup artistry hair um styling everything that you've just talked about um can you maybe talk a little bit about why it was so important to put the focus on it being every single element of the behind the scenes process i think there's just it's not just a it's not just a lack of Indigenous faces in terms of models. There's so many Indigenous creatives out there. Like, why does it have to be specifically just models? Why, you know, the fashion industry is so broad. It's massive. We shouldn't just be focusing on Indigenous models. We should be focusing on creating an Indigenous ecology within every market. Like, we should be represented everywhere. It wasn't, it wasn't specifically about focusing on one thing, but about focusing on us as a community. And like all the talents that we that we bring to the table, which is equally as equally as anyone else who's coming to the table, you know, like it's the main goal for us is we're not trending. We we're working on normalization. So it's about not making this a statement or a trend. It's just it's about this being a normal thing. And even having people on set who understand your culture would be so important. So like, um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you saw, but recently Halima Adern like stepped back from the fashion industry as a whole, because um, even though she was one of the first hijabi supermodels in the world, um, she found that stylists and photographers and designers just had no understanding of Muslim culture. Um, So she was like so often compromising her beliefs to not cause trouble on set. And like none of that would have happened if you had Muslim creatives working with her or just like across the whole industry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really fortunate enough to have not been in any particular situation like that, thankfully. But I definitely, you know, I definitely know other models that have been that have been in situations where they don't feel comfortable or they feel as though they weren't understood or even forms of like racism have happened. And it's it's real. It really sucks and it's really sad. Um, and that's something that I just feel in general. You know, we should all be educated on. And not just, you know, one specific culture, but all cultures. It should, if you don't feel as though you're confident with something or you know something, it's okay to ask. Like, I, I know a, a specific example would be this. Um, I, don't, I know hair is a, is a really big issue on set. Sometimes a lot of, a lot of girls that have like really beautiful Afro type hair or tight curls, they're not treated properly with products or hot tools. And although it's important for hairstylists and people on set to be educated about that I also feel it's a great space for them to also learn and grow with that experience so I think it's it's great to connect with models either prior to the shoot or on that day and just like you know what what is what's best for your hair this is the look we're going for like how do you think just learning like I don't know it's 
it's it's complicated there there's a lot of there's a lot of areas obviously there's a lot of areas but yeah <laughs> but yeah um i just de- i definitely you know we could, there's always room for improvement on this subject yeah um and you just mentioned briefly just before but as part of your work with FNFD you've just spent 2 weeks on country learning more about your heritage and culture firsthand can you talk a bit about what that process was like because it sounds incredible yeah it was really intense i really so a big part of um you know coming back to australia and being here for the for the pandemic has given me the time and space to dig deeper into my cultural roots which is something that i wasn't raised with so because i am because i am known as indigenous australian and i advocate so much for my culture i feel as though i'm really uneducated and i felt not that i'm like a fraud or anything but i definitely felt as though it's important that i'm educated while like i'm someone who has a voice it's really important that i'm educated with everything that i say so apart from me just wanting to know more about my culture and where i come from and and all of that it's um I really, as, as being an advocate, I really need to be educated. And so a big part of why I also signed on with FNFD is that I know that on this journey, I can give them as much education that I know about the fashion industry and they can help me with educating myself in terms of culture and Indigenous Australia. So there was, it's very, the very, very give and take with, with the relationship we have. And so the event that we had the past two weeks was FNFD's very first launch event and it was a fashion performance called Walking in Two Worlds which is about fashion and culture coming together and the very first week we spent on the very first week we spent um, in Yarraba on country and far north Queensland Cairns with elders um, and obviously with all the models and the team and we really learned how to connect with our spirit and connect with each other and there was a lot of mindfulness that went into went into our time there as well as rehearsing for the show and getting to know each other and then we recorded we recorded the show on country while we were out there and then we did the exact same thing in Cairns for the second week so we were in the performance space and then we did the exact same show again in Cairns, but with a projection of the country show above the real show that we were walking. So there was that element of two worlds of like the our cultural world and um, our urban world, in a sense, our fashion world. And just uh, at the end of the two weeks, just seeing it all come together and seeing how far like all the models had come and everyone had come in that journey we we had gotten so close that by the end by the last show we were all sobbing sobbing crying like hugging each other like it was it was so beautiful and so awakening and enlightening and educational and i just you know our goal now is to continue stuff like that continue walking into worlds and also create more programs for Indigenous communities and for everyone else to be involved. That's so lovely. That's so special. I feel um, the same as you in terms of being raised. I'm um, 
indigenous New Zealander, I'm part Māori, but like growing up very light-skinned and growing up with my white mum instead of my brown dad, I learned like nothing about my culture as well. And so even when people refer to me as being Māori, I'm always like, ah, I don't know how to speak the language or I don't know what's going on. And then living away from home for so long like you did, it's just really hard to connect. So it was like, I, I had like the same experience when I went home this year as well in terms of just like immersing myself so much more buying all of these books and actually doing the learning that you don't learn in school yeah exactly that yeah like that's the exact it's the exact same thing like you just I grew up um I grew up in a family that we weren't uh we were I guess what's the word like urbanized or like I don't know that doesn't sound like it's a word Mm. (laughs) but like I grew up (laughs) essentially like in the suburbs and went to you know a school normal public school and high school and stuff like that and so I I didn't have they didn't have that knowledge to pass down and I didn't have that cultural experience that um lots of indigenous families have on country um and now that I'm in a space where I can advocate for it I just feel as though I'm really uneducated because I didn't grow up with it so Mm. I'm on this journey now kind of learning about it and looking for it and um then FNFD happened and yeah so <laughs> we're going on we're going on this journey now together and I'm bringing everyone along with me so yeah hopefully we all we'll learn and grow together so great amazing um we wanted to pivot to something which me and Izzy always wonder about models which is that um maybe a lot of people don't know about your job is that you literally always have to be prepared <laughs> to maybe shoot the next oh, morning God. <laughs> so you're kind of constantly in a state of like looking good <laughs> hyper self-care in terms of being like yeah tanned and waxed and hair done and masked and things um firstly does that ever get exhausting well no it just becomes a lifestyle it just becomes the way that you function and the way that you live so definitely in the beginning you find it really difficult getting into the modeling industry knowing that you don't know when you're going to work next and you're kind of just waiting day by day for the next thing to happen I but then it just becomes more of a lifestyle and you just kind of live momentarily. Um, in a way, that's one thing I think modeling has really taught me is to just take every moment and live it because you just, you don't know what's coming up next. <laughs> I don't know when I'll be available next. So it's like, I'm free today. What are you doing today? Let's go. But um, I will say that one thing I also find hand in hand with that really difficult is that it's really hard for me to make plans. I can't really plan to do much um, with my friends or with my family or in terms of holidays or any kind of personal things it gets really difficult even just booking an appointment for the doctor can be difficult um so I I really have to like look into my schedule and I have to book out specific days and then very often I will get options that come up on the very days that I book out and I have to decide whether or not I want to take this appointment or take this opportunity and so that is something that is really difficult that I don't think a lot of people are aware of as well Mm -hmm. I lived with um a model for a bit and it was like so tough because she'd constantly be just this toned tanned goddess on the couch because she's like gotta wash <laughs> that you've got to wash your hair every day you can't like afford to wake up with a massive hangover I was like Jesus but also um it was funny living with her firsthand and seeing how intense it actually is having your looks be such a front and center part of your job and also at the same time as kind of actors and actresses you're competing against a whole bunch of other beautiful women for jobs um, was that something that you ever had to get your head around in terms of confidence and body image and things like that? Because even though obviously you're beautiful to be a model, <laughs> like so is everyone else in your industry. Just kind of the the bar just raises. 
I, I mean, it's definitely really important for models to stay fit and healthy. It's just good. All, I mean, it's good all around. It's good for your life, for your health, for your skin, mm. for everything to just be like fit and healthy in general. So that's something that I feel as though is quite promising in the, the model industry, the fashion industry is that for you to maintain good health and exercise. But that can also be misconstrued in 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 ways where, where people aren't treating their body correctly because they do find a lack of self-esteem or a lack of confidence comparing themselves all the time so that's something you've got to be really mindful of um I was really lucky I don't know I don't know how I created that kind of mentality but coming into the fashion industry I was told very early on you know that going to castings is just something that you do and it's not it's not to take personally if you don't get it it's just they just want to see you and a bunch of other people so they can decide what they want and so I, I kind of had embedded that in my mind from very early on that it's just a casting and if I get it it's great and if I don't it's not a problem in a way but there are definitely it's something that you kind of continuously struggle with that you will continuously be working on within this industry because the industry changes um, more and different opportunities come up especially as your career grows or as you get older um, and you'll see other people doing things that you've really dreamt of doing um, or people moving in a direction that you want to move towards as well. And so I think rather than comparing yourself to them, it's good to look to them as inspiration. So they're definitely working, working on your confidence in a way of seeing others succeed and being happy for them and being inspired by that rather than saying, well, I don't have that because every single model in the industry as a different path and they all do different things and you're all and we're all very very different people so you're never going to have the same opportunities as them and they're not they're not also going to have the same as you either it goes both ways so you just yeah it takes it takes a bit of it takes a bit of learning but it's something that you're constantly going through you're constantly reminding yourself all the time to to like not compare and you, you you really get to a space where you get you get better at it you do you definitely get better at it like I said that the, I there are so many girls that I look at now that I see I was like wow like that's something I really want to do and I find that inspiring I don't compare myself to them so that's something that I feel as though a lot of young girls need to a lot of young models not just girls but um, boys and girls men and women it'd be they they should all know that. <laughs> oh, try to try to practice it. It's like meditating. It's something you can't you got to constantly do to get better at. You know. There was an Olivia Wilde interview that we both listened to last week, and she said something. It was a quote she'd heard, and it was like, um, "Jealousy without ego is admiration," or something. It was like whenever you think you feel jealous of someone, you probably just admire them. <laughs> And like, if you just take yourself out of it, you should just look at them as like someone to be um, inspired by. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is true. It's true. It's fully true. Like I, I hundred percent agree with that. Like there are so many girls, it's even with, um, because this is a very visual industry, there are mm. girls who have like really amazing bodies. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, why can't my body be like that? And then I have to rein it in. I have to say, look, she's a completely different human being, like different genes, parents, life everything like I'm not going to look like that even if I even if I want to it makes me I have to say look I don't want to look like her I just want to be the best version of myself because she to me visually looks like the best version of herself I don't know if that's 
really how she feels, but like that's that's visually what I see. And so rather than rather than being like, I want that body, it's like, no, I want my body to be great. Like <laughs> in my own way. Mm. Um the last thing we wanted to talk to you about is the fact that you've been in the fashion industry during a really kind of watershed time across so many fronts, like the sustainability, environmental questions, the inclusivity questions that we've just um, been discussing, and then um, something that's been kind of maybe less talked about this year but is still so important is Me Too and the treatment of models on set. And I think that with Me Too, something that's really interesting is that a lesser discussed part of it is just kind of the treatment of models. Like, yes, there's obviously a horrendous sexual harassment side, but there's also just um, emotional mistreatment or not being respectful enough. And I think that there was a misconception until recently that models were the most powerful people on set. Whereas when you work in fashion, you know that that's very rarely the case. Um, So can you just talk maybe a little bit about how the industry has changed from the inside if it has in the last few years? I definitely feel as though, like, since I've started modelling, which was eight years ago now, which is crazy, (laughs) but um, I definitely feel as though we've evolved into a world where people appreciate kindness, like, way more. And so it's cool to be kind. It's not cool to be, like, to be that bitchy person anymore. Like, we don't consider that cool anymore or fun and people are becoming way more appreciative of kindness and and gratefulness and I think we're just being more mindful as well so I feel as though we've definitely there's definitely been a shift and a change in terms of that on set and I I feel as though now when I'm when I work and I I meet lots of people that we're all very like understanding and happy to be there and we're all trying to create conversation and just get to know each other. And it's a much, um, it's a much more, it's a much nicer space to be in. Not that it, that I feel as though it ever really wasn't when I started. I also feel as though I was really young when I started. So being around lots of adults is quite intense. And now that I'm older and I, I'm more understanding myself, but there's definitely been a shift in the industry in terms of it's, it's cool now to be nice. It's not cool to be, it's not cool to be the bitch anymore or to be intense or to be mean. Like people, people have noticed that they have way more fun on set and produce like much better work when everyone's in a great mood. So that's a, I think that's something that's transpired in the past few years. Okay. Well, that was all of our questions. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Charlie. It was so great to talk to you. Yes, you too. Yeah, it was so nice to I hope everything is okay in London and in Perth. And I look forward to hopefully meeting you guys in the physical future. (laughs) I know. Fingers crossed. Come on over. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.